Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The government responds to the cost of living crisis with a package of measures, but do they go far enough? They include cutting the cost of public transport and increasing the credit to help with energy bills. The first of these is the decision to increase uh, the energy credit announced in December uh, from €100 excluding VAT to €200 inclusive of VAT. This is old wine in new bottles. People can see through this. And in our view, um, this is really problematic. Ponisa, Leo Varadkar joins me live in studio to discuss the plan. Get in touch on Twitter with your comments and questions on hashtag TonightVMTV. unveiled its long-awaited measures to combat the cost of living crisis. The new 300 million euro package contains a number of measures, including increasing the energy credit to 200 euro and a cut in public transport fares. The measures have received a mixed reaction, but the opposition says that they don't go far enough. Well, I'm joined now by the Thonisha Lee of Radcar in studio. And Thonisha, you're very welcome along to the programme tonight. Let's talk about uh, some of those big announcements made this evening uh, to tackle the cost of living. Um, first off, the, big, the headline announcement really, doubling the household energy subsidy to €200 Euro for every single household in this country, regardless of income. Why do that? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, it's important to acknowledge that the cost of living is rising. Uh, inflation now stands at about 5%. It's the highest in maybe 20 or 30 years. Um, and the government gets that. We know that people are feeling the pinch in their pockets. We know that many families are struggling to make ends meet. And we know that people are seeing it um, every day. In, in, we're all seeing it in our everyday lives. You know, the cost of filling... Uh, your car with a tank of petrol or diesel, the uh, ESB bill, the gas bill when it arrives, people getting a real shock when they see how much the prices of things have gone up. And it is largely driven by energy prices and transport prices, which of course is linked to the price of energy. And that's why the measures are targeted uh, at the cost of transport and also the cost of, um, of energy in the form of electricity. Uh, so it's a 500 million package in total. And the biggest single uh, action, as you mentioned in that, uh, is, um, is a 200 euro reduction in your electricity bill, essentially, because we want to do to do things that wouldn't fuel inflation. We want to do things that would actually okay. uh, cut your bills. So, you know, if you use public transport, it's going to be cheaper. Uh, if oh. your kid is on school transport, depending on the size of your family, it could be yeah. cheaper. Um, and the main, the main measure, of course, is, is a 200 euro discount essentially from your electricity yeah, bill talk about and that'll, that. that'll fall in March or, or April depending on when you get your bill. Okay so from, from next month or mm. from April um, but as I say it is for every single household in the country and we've talked about the shock of getting bills but there are those who can cope with that shock and there's those who can't and mm. we know when it comes to inflation it's a divided country and I'm wondering with that in mind you know 
for wealthy people who've benefited in the pandemic, and we know there are, we know when we hear about the revenue, the returns, and the, the savings that have been generated in this country, there are those people who can offset those savings to very simply pay their bills. And then there are others who can't. For example, what will you be doing with the, the 200 euro credit? Well, it'll come off the bill, obviously. So yeah, but you'll it'll, have that extra be, 200 euro now. Yeah, I haven't thought about it, to be honest. But to answer your question, it's not about me. It's about it's about five million people uh, yeah, in our country. I, and I think this is the point. Mm. So it's it's maybe not about you. It's not about the high earners here, and yet everyone's going to receive that. Is that a bit problematic when you're looking at taking a mm. target approach, a targeted approach potentially here to really help those who are most in need, those mm. who have to choose between food and fuel? What we've done something, what we've done, done something that, that is very deliberate. There is 200 euros off your bill for every household, uh, regardless of your income, and then there's a targeted additional 125 euros, um, which you can use to, to pay your fuel bills, and that's in the form of an increase in the fuel allowance, and that'll kick in in early March. But to answer your question, that is a fair question. Um, there are a lot of people who are on above average incomes. You know, the average income in Ireland is in around 40,000. A lot of people on 40,000, 50,000, maybe 55,000 a year, um, on average are above average income. Uh, and on paper, they might be well off. They're in the top 20%. By definition, if you're over about 40,000, you're in the top 20%. But when you take account of the income tax they pay, PRSI, USC, childcare, rent, mortgage, uh, sometimes they can be struggling with the bills too. And that's why we didn't want to leave out middle-income families. Uh, those higher-income ones, they, they pay very high income taxes anyway, and that's how we get the money back from them. They're the ones who will pay, pay all, well, the, all the other forms of taxes. Some argue that they don't pay enough in the way of income tax. For example, targeting it with, say, a measure like tax credits, so then you would mm. get the middle income earners as well as the low income earners there. Was that considered? Uh, no, in short, because we decided this would not be a mini budget. Uh, if we got into making a series of tax changes, a series of welfare changes, um, a finance bill, a social welfare bill, aside from taking quite some time for all that to be done, you know the budget happens in October and the measures don't kick in until, until January, um, that would effectively turn into a mini budget. We didn't want to do that. What we but wanted I mean, to do. You know, I mean, it, it's. You say it all takes time, but the EU produced a toolbox when mm. they said, what can you do to target inflation? And that announcement came out in October of last year when they said you know that the high prices are projected to last right throughout the winter um, and they demand a rapid and coordinated response and the response was one that was targeting supports for energy poor consumers through vouchers partial bill payments so it would be a targeted response and this was in October of last yeah. year nothing is being done until now in February it that's won't not, kick in until correct. March April no that's, it, that's not correct in terms of in terms of time and urgency, mm. I mean, you may as well have a mini budget now uh, and and potentially sort out the problem for those who need it most. Yeah, well, well th that's not correct. That's not what happened. So the EU came out as toolbox in October. That's correct. Uh, we had a budget in October, and on budget day, we actually increased the fuel allowance. We did it uh, in October and applied it right away from fr from October. And we had a tax package, a welfare package, and a pension package. And that was one of the things that I was I was insisting on because I felt that because of inflation, we needed to increase welfare rates across the board. There were target increases for those most in need, people with dependent children, uh, those living alone. Um, there was a, an income tax package for working people, and there was also uh, a freeze on childcare fees, for example, and there's a reduction in the cost of medicines. Clearly, but what all happened, of that didn't go far enough. Yeah, 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 so what happened since October? That's what did happen in October. EU toolbox, we had a budget, we responded. Uh, since October, uh, inflation, rather than stabilising or moderating like people said it would, including the European Union, the European Central Bank, it continued to rise. So at the time we wrote the budget, um, we and everyone, uh, not just us, Central Bank, ERSI, 
all the people who IFAC uh, all projected inflation of being in around two or two or three percent. It's five. Uh, and we had to respond to that. And that's why we've brought in this package today. It's 500 million in addition to the 1 billion euro package in the budget. It's comparable to what other countries are doing. We do know doing. that other countries have done all of this a lot sooner, though. Uh, so, some have done things sooner. Some have done much less, actually. Um, you know, you, you have to go across the different countries to see what they've done. Countries that have done an energy package didn't do what we did, for example, in terms of indexing um, or increasing rather welfare pensions and, uh, and reducing income tax. Take Britain, for example. They didn't increase pensions or welfare and they actually increased income tax. Their national insurance is going up. Uh, take Northern Ireland, you know, and it's easy for the opposition down here to say we're not doing enough. Uh, look at what they're doing in Northern Ireland where they're in government. Um, it's £100 off the bill were taking 200 euros off your bill uh, and they did a targeted measure, but only for 280,000 people in, in, in a place at, that was 1.8 million people. A targeted so. measure at that. But, you know, when we hear um, the opposition saying, we heard from the Labour Party, oh, wine, new bottles, you know, the lack of innovation here when it comes to resolving this and the fear that we're going to be back at the table wondering how we're going to sort this out later on in the year when these measures don't work. Yeah, well, I, I think... I think perhaps there, there's a point there, and let me explore that. Um, what we're doing here is we're treating the symptoms of inflation. Inflation means things get more expensive. We're trying to help uh, by reducing some of people's bills. Um, but all we're doing is treating the symptoms. Um, and, you know, I'm a doctor by training. I know it's a good thing to treat the symptoms. If your patient is in pain, you need to give them pain relief. But that doesn't deal with the underlying cause. And the underlying cause of inflation is driven by a number of factors. And what we need now is an anti-inflation strategy. And it's not what the opposition is saying, which is just, you know, um, you're not doing enough, just do more of this. Uh, it actually requires dealing with the underlying causes of inflation. So a lot of that is monetary policy. It's the fact that the central banks all around the world um, first for the global financial crisis and then for the pandemic, printed trillions of yen, trillions of euros, trillions of dollars. Um, the ECB now needs to take action because it's the ECB's job uh, to keep inflation at around 2%. Um, other things, for example, we need to do uh, is to deal with some of the other drivers of inflation, like a very tight labour market, like housing supply. Another area, for example, which is important is, is dealing with the actual amount of energy we use. And just this week, we announced a really big package to help people to insulate and make their homes warmer. Regarding the if, retrofitting. If people do that. that if they will, can afford to do it. Well, well and so in some cases, it's 100% for, for people with very low incomes. It's 80% for everyone else for, for some measures. But bear in mind that what, what that will do uh, is if people make those um, investments in their homes, uh, make their homes warmer, we're going to help them to do that. You can save 30, 50, 100 euros a month. Sure. Surely that's an innovative okay. solution. There's a lot of people it's on not, those... It's not just, you know, throw more money there, at the problem, which there, is what you're hearing from the opposition. There are also plenty of people in, on lower incomes. And for example, there were calls for the issue of rents to be looked at and yeah. a rent freeze. We know that rents are spiralling. We saw the daft report um, yesterday. They've risen 10% um, and right across the board, you know, people are, ha are really struggling to, to pay their rents. And yet there's nothing contained in, in the cost of living measures today to, to, to look at that. Was that under consideration at all? Well, what we've done on rents is we've limited rent increases to 2%. So if you're a tenant, uh, you're in an apartment, you're in a house, the maximum that your rent can be increased by is two percent. But sure, we know that's not happening. Like we've seen that. If mm. you look at uh, if you look at what's happening actually on the ground, yeah. they're going up a lot. There are ways around that, and, and it's and, going up a, and, an awful and, lot more than that. And some of that is to do with, do with new tendencies. And remember, you know, the index that you quoted there, and it's reasonable to quote that index. It's not an official index. It's the daft.ie website. So if you're in existing 
apartment, existing house, an existing tenancy, you're not putting that apartment or house up on daft.ie. Uh, you, you've either had no rent increase or a rent increase of 2% maximum. Um, but we have two problems in the, in, in the rental market, and, and, it's, and they're serious problems. One is affordability, the other actually is availability. Uh, and that's, that's a real dilemma at the moment, uh, because you know, we see traditional you know, one property mom and pop landlords getting out. And the government is trying to get in and provide new rental properties at a discount, that's cost rental, that's a reality now. Uh, to a certain extent, investment funds are coming in. But the flight out of the market by those small mom and pop landlords is a real problem. And that has made uh, properties almost unavailable. Never mind the high rent you might have to pay. Um, it's very hard to find somewhere to rent at all. Yeah, so, which brings me back to a rent freeze. Mm. Is and it something that was being considered? Would a rent freeze not make that worse though? Would that, well, not, would that not mean that even fewer people would be willing to put uh, their properties out to be uh, let? Would it not mean that more and more of those small mom and pop landlords might be Well, there's might plenty of altogether? people, as you say, who, are, who happily have people, you know, have tenants in places, mm. and it just provides security for those tenants in a time of crisis when we're looking at those who have mm. the very least paying the very most for everything. It, it, it might, but also might have a perverse effect uh, of the person who owns that property, who's currently providing a rental property for somebody who needs it, saying, I'm now getting a 0% return, I'm out. I'm going to join the exodus from the rental market, I'm going to sell up um, because I can get more than 0% if I put my money anywhere else. And I know that mightn't be a popular message, but it is something that people have to consider. You know, it's, it's well understood uh, throughout history that when you bring in price controls, what happens? Supply goes down, you, you, you have shortages. And we have to bear in mind that there's two aspects to the rental crisis. The affordability issue, which is enormous, but also the availability. So there's and you likely want to, make to be sure you don't no make change worse. on that front, Honestly. What's going to happen uh, is we're going to need to take action that will okay. increase the number of properties available for rent, because right. you know that that's 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 the best thing we can actually do. Um, and if we do that, if there's more properties to rent, then that can help bring rents down. Um, and the biggest intervention from the government is cost rental. You know, the government now provides um, properties for people to rent we, at a much lower rate than they've in the market. And, and, and we need a lot more of that. We do. We, we do need a lot more of that. Um, shopping around, uh, quite topical this week, as you know. Um, when it comes to pay afforded to senior public servants, would you listen to the advice of your colleague Sean Fleming and shop around? Look, uh, you know, Sean misspoke. Um, he used the wrong words to, to describe what he was trying to describe. Um, everyone does that in politics. I've done it on a few occasions. He apologised, uh, and I think uh, uh, we should accept his apology. People, okay. people say things. The point wrong. I'm making, I'm talking about the pay that's afforded the Secretary-General mm. of the Department of Health, Robert Watt, now earning close to €298,000. Um, and when you look at getting, I guess, value for money out there, when we talk about the big discrepancy in between what people are earning and those at the very top are earning, um, do you think that's too much money? I think um, one point that's very much missed from the argument over this is, you know, this is not Robert Watt's salary. This is a salary we decided before he got the job. Uh, is, is the salary that we would pay the Secretary General of the Department of Health. Um, when Robert Watt ceases to be Secretary General of the Department of Health, whenever that happens, the person who succeeds him uh, will get that same salary. So the salary doesn't just go to the person, it goes to the role. Um, yeah, we decide, too we much decided for the role. If we're not talking about the person, but 298,000, mm. and it's not going to stop at that because we know that under you know, public sector pay deals that that's actually going to go up. It's, set to, it's on course to be over 300,000 euro. And for people watching in tonight who are struggling with those energy bills, who are struggling to put food on the table, they think that's galling, that's too much. Think about the nature of the job though. Uh, this is uh, the head of our health service effectively, the head of the Department of Health. Uh, running a budget of 22,000 million a year, 22 billion, 
uh, responsible for 150,000 uh, employees, responsible for managing the pandemic, responsible for getting our health service into a better space. Uh, I know that department because I used to be the minister there. A 22 billion euro budget, if that's 1% out, that costs the Irish people yeah. 220 and million we know euros. As well, the record figures we're hearing from our emergency departments right now and the big job and the big task mm. that's at hand in the health service. So there's yeah. pressure then to deliver, isn't there? Yeah, and, and you know, thankfully last year was one of the very few years where the health service came in on budget, in fact, slightly under budget. And um, we're seeing very high attendances at the moment in emergency departments. Thankfully, that is not, not translated into the highest ever trolley, trolley numbers. There are no, still far too many people on trolleys for sure. Uh, they are, and, and uh, they very often are this time of year, unfortunately. But, you know, we're putting huge investment into our health service at, at the moment. Um, a lot of people don't know this. We have 40% more doctors than we had 10 years ago, both consultants and NCHDs. We have 40,000 midwives and nurses now, uh, almost the highest per head or per bed in the developed world. We have 2,000 more beds than we had five years ago. So a huge investment is going in. Um, but we know hit the, by the pandemic, that remain, hit by the and cyber those, attack. Those waiting lists that, mm. that remain as well. And of course, launch a care and what's happening there. So there is a big job at hand. But I want to move on to look at, at wage demands. And we know that the unions are in talks um, now about, I suppose, grappling with the cost of living and, and how workers should be paid accordingly. There's huge expectation. You said yourself that employers, if they can't afford to give people a pay rise, should do that. Therefore, you can see why the unions would mm. say, all workers should get a pay rise, um, shouldn't they? And isn't this something now that you're going to have to face going into the next couple of months as those talks come to a fruition? Uh, well, well, as you know, an increase in the national minimum wage kicked in uh, only a few weeks ago. Um, since the Low Pay Commission was established in 2016, we've seen a 26% increase in the minimum wage. Prices have gone up by about 7% since then. We have a pay deal to pay public servants more. Uh, and. Uh, there's also you know, the, the additional public holiday, which is an extra day's pay without work as well. So there are a number of things that are already agreed. Um, but you, in the context where we have inflation and the cost of living is rising, it's not unreasonable for workers to say to their employer that they uh, want their pay to be increased. And that will happen. Um, but we need to bear in mind two things. Uh, there are some employers that won't be able to pay. Um, and the last thing we want is employers having to lay people off or cut people's hours if they can't afford to pay. So there's a difference between those who can't afford to pay and those who can't. And I suppose the other thing that we need, um, need to bear in mind as well is that we want to avoid uh, a wage inflation spiral. This can be self-defeating, unfortunately, uh, because if, for example, um, an employer has to pay the staff 5% more, how will they fund that? They increase prices by 5% so, more. And you then create a spiral where people have increased wages, but they're actually not any better off. And that's something we need to try to avoid. Okay, so when, when you said that, that, you know, that should employers be in a position to pay people more they mm. should, were you saying that also worrying about the impact that that could have? Yeah, of course, because it's, you know, this is life and this is economics and there's so many different moving parts and any action um, has knock-on effects and knock-on reactions. But that's exactly why I come back to the point that I, said, that I made earlier. If we just treat the symptoms of inflation, if we just keep chasing higher prices with higher wages, you know, with higher welfare, well, you do need to do that, by the way, that's the symptoms. That won't solve the problem and that's why we need an anti-inflation strategy. Uh, inflation could be with us for a couple of years uh, and that's why it can't just be about um, 
this wage inflation spiral where we're all, always chasing higher prices. We have to do the other things as well. It means changes in monetary policy. It means having a discussion with the social partners, which we will have around incomes policy. It means doing more around competition and consumer protection. And, you, you know, in my department, Minister Troy and I have published two new pieces of legislation to strengthen the competition authority and to strengthen consumer law. There are other ways that you can bring inflation under control. And if, if the only thing we do is treat the symptoms, and yes, we do need to treat the symptoms, um, we won't actually solve the problem. Yeah, are workers potentially likely to see a pay rise though later this year? We know the unions mm. are talking. We know that they've laid out the issues that are there as yeah. everyone is feeling the pinch. Um, are we likely to see that or is this likely to be a very testy time between government and unions? Uh, no, no mo most workers will see a pay rise this year. Um, and we know that already from uh, the tax returns, for example, uh, there are more people at work, uh, people are working more hours and they're being paid more. Of course, every, every individual person's experience is different, um, but most workers uh, will get a pay rise this year. You expect that? Well, I, I know that, uh, you know, because we've agreed uh, modest pay increases in the public service. There's increases in the minimum wage. Uh, there's increases in other sector rates. And I know what I hear from the IDA and I know what I hear from, hear from private sector employers. I know what I hear from the unions as well, that they are successfully negotiating pay increases in the private sector. OK, to go above and beyond, though, what's already being talked about potentially, can you see that happening? Well, these things are negotiated. And very often, you know, what an organisation or an employer uh, or the public service will say uh, is that we can agree a pay rise um, because it's right that you should get a pay rise, we can afford to do it, uh, you need to protect your income against inflation, yeah. but also we need things in return. You know, we need changes in productivity, we need changes in work practices, we need to part fund that by doing our business differently or better, and that's the kind of negotiations that happen. All right. Um, the investigation into the leaking of documents, is that casting a shadow over your political future, Thornista? Well, it's not, it's not distracting me in any way. It may well distract other people, but, you know, I have a very busy job. I have four jobs, essentially, any of which could be a full-time job. TD for Dublin West, leader of my party, uh, deputy head of government and minister for enterprise, trade and employment. And uh, my focus is on that uh, 100%. And if you take my role as minister of enterprise, trade and employment, I've set out three big targets to get 2.5 million people at work in Ireland by 2024, uh, to help businesses get through Brexit and COVID, uh, and also yeah. to improve workers' pay terms and conditions. And no. that's, that, and, and that's do, what I'm we doing. And we do, we do. We look, we know the agenda um, that's ahead of you. But in the middle of, the, of all of this, there's a Garda investigation mm. taking place. You're not worried about it at all. You're not worried about potentially you're due to become Taoiseach on December 15th. And if we don't, if, the, if there isn't, you know, a, an end or decision around this, then that puts that into jeopardy, doesn't it? Well, look, I, I'm not worried about the outcome. Um, I obviously would like it to be resolved by now, um, but I'm certainly not worried about the outcome. Well, you why know, is that? Because I, I set out, um, I set out in the Dáil uh, back in November 2002, uh, my full account of what happened. Uh, and we would vote of confidence in the Dáil, and I won that vote of confidence. And there's nothing new. There's no other information. Um, if anything else happened, um, I, I'm not aware of it. Uh, so I know what the outcome is going to be. Um, so do you but know obviously we have to so get long? to that point. I, I don't. <laughs> and uh, I, you'd have to ask, uh, ask others that. Um, I uh, heard, heard that it was happening through the media around this time last year. Um, I had an interview back in April, cooperated fully, answered all questions. Uh, I'm available uh, for any further queries, any evidence anybody wants to put to me, I'm happy to respond to, but that hasn't happened yet. So really nothing has happened from my point of view uh, since last April. Uh, and I'm just getting out of the job in the meantime. Okay, Thoris Leo Faradkar, thank you. Thank you. Next, opposition reaction to today's government measures to combat the cost of living crisis. Stay with us.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back. I'm joined by Sinn Féin's Mairead Farrell, Roisin Shorthall of the Social Democrats and Irish Mail, Executive Editor John Lee, to reflect some more on those government cost of living measures. Um, to you first, Mairead Farrell, from Sinn Féin's point of view, um, like, did the measures that were announced today, uh, it was 300 million, but that didn't include the earlier announced energy credit. So it brings it up to, whatever, nearly 500 million euro. Um, does it go some way, do you believe, towards helping people who are in need now? I think what's quite astonishing really is that the uh, measures aren't targeted. So we had a situation whereby um, cabinet ministers were sitting around the cabinet table and they were going to be benefiting um, from this additional 100 euro um, to the same extent as as people who are on the minimum wage. And I think that really shows a government that's completely out of touch with reality um, because we know that people are really, really struggling. And I have people coming into my clinics and they say they're that cold and they aren't able to heat their homes that some of them actually... Well, one particular man came to me and he said that he um, has to sleep in his um, kitchen because it's the warmest room in his house, that he can't actually have a shower in his bathroom because it is the coldest room in the house. That's the reality for people. So do I think that the government really missed a trick here, that they don't really grasp the reality of what's going on in people's lives? Absolutely. And I think it's really shocking that they haven't done it in a very much um, a targeted way to help those okay. people who are really, really struggling. OK, well, they will say, um, you know, that there's the fuel allowance lump sum payment, an additional €125 Euro per recipient. And I'd like to come in on that. I think what the government failed to grasp here is that there's an eligibility crisis in terms of the fuel allowance. And obviously, while we would welcome um, that additionality of the €125, Euro, what we have is a lot of working people out there who just are struggling and they can't seem to grasp that they need to increase the eligibility for fuel allowance. Now we've been saying that for quite some time and not only that, um, something that we've been saying since last March, indeed my colleague Claire Coran mentioned last March, was that we need a discretionary fund for those who are ineligible for the fuel allowance to be able to um, apply for that and to get that help. Now the Taunish of Racker said last week mm -hmm. that they were looking at that so to be honest I'd expected to see something like that today um, and that's what I would have liked to have seen. Would you have expected that, Roisin Shorthall? I would, yeah. I mean, tonight's uh, package is a very mixed bag. There are positives in it. Obviously, the whole question of uh, the increase of €125 Euro for um, eligible uh, pensioners uh, who get the fuel allowance. So that's a good thing. Also, uh, reducing the cost of public transport, I think, is a good thing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's, it's notable that it's a temporary reduction. 
I mean, that just doesn't make any sense at all. Why would it be temporary? I'd also welcome the proposed caps to the school transport scheme, the cost of that. But the big element in this, of course, is the, the uh, energy subsidy, as it were. Uh, and that comes to about €400 million. Euro. It's a lot of money. And the big problem with that is the failure of the government to target it in any way. So, you know, you'd have to ask, like, just what planet some of these uh, ministers are living on. Um, if you look at the, the Vincent de Paul report that came out today, the research that showed that pre-pandemic we had 800,000 people uh, living in deprivation. And it's reckoned that that figure has increased substantially since the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So there's large numbers of children in particular living in very low income families, children living in poverty, where their parents have awful difficulties in terms of making decisions on how they spend the meagre income that they have. Now, you know, people in those difficult circumstances will be getting the 200 euro subsidy, the same subsidy that the Taoiseach and the Tánaiste and our many millionaires in this country will be getting. Like, the Tánaiste says he wasn't sure how, how he's going to spend that. Well, it would but, come but, off the bail, of yeah, course. And, and that was a good question, but it indicated there. that the 200 euro really doesn't mean anything to somebody like the Tánaiste who has that kind of income. And I suspect that in this studio, it won't mean much to any of us here. And wouldn't it have been much, much better if that money had been targeted at those people most yeah. in need. I mean, John, isn't this the problem here, that this top line from government, this €200 Euro across the board, supposed to be a good news story, is actually facing, is backfiring essentially on them with the reaction certainly from opposition and from a lot of people at home who'd be saying, you know what, Leo Radker doesn't need it or Robert Watt doesn't need it or Michael O'Leary doesn't need it, but do you know, I could do with a bit more. It is a strange move. We've always had problem with, uh, problems with targeted payments. You know, if you look at child benefit, it's always been controversial in the way it's been distributed. The fuel allowance um, um, one-off payment is targeting people who are struggling. Uh, there are ways of dealing with people who are um, not quite poverty-stricken, but struggling financially. They are so increasing social welfare rates. There are, there are many ways of doing it. But we would have to. Well, we would have to suppose we're in an unprecedented situation coming out of a pandemic. Um, the Tanisha said with the, in the interview with you that they had hoped and they had been told by the ECB and others that inflation would be back down to around two, three percent. By now, it's at five percent. Mm. It's hard to see that these measures will tackle inflation. But it's also probably an admission that the government is not in a position to to deal with, and I think Leo Varadkar all but admitted that, to deal with the main driver of inflation at the moment in Ireland specifically, which are um, housing costs. And the two of you had a, an exchange on how that would be done. There, there are proposals from uh, Sinn Féin to essentially um, fr freeze rents. I know it's a little more nuanced than that, that are above 5% of inflation that they would expect um, a, a rent to be frozen. The, the Tánaiste has pointed out that that's going to cause a further problem, unintended consequence, probably, which mm. is drive private people out of the, out of the market. But um, it, it, it's just I mean, does it the, all, the few. I mean, the, the problem, the, the question is with all of this and what has been put out there is: uh, is this government out of touch? Absolutely. Well, I think I think it's a little uh, more that, interesting. That is the question. I, I, there, I it? think it's interesting politically in, in this sense what they have done. The 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 untargeted payment 
does strike one as a bit of a, a bit of a panic move in that I didn't see the clamour nationally for, for that to happen. Are they reacting to the surge of Sinn Féin who, you know, um, are, have a signal that there'll be a high tax, high spend uh, government mm. when they get into government yeah. and this is a high spend measure and not a, and I mean, not, and is not a very nuanced measure. I mean, would have considered doing? I mean, there are, okay, there are, there, there are a lot of people for the middle income earners. I mean, this is what the Thonish was saying. We want to help those people who have mortgages, the childcare, they've all the, who wouldn't necessarily fall into the fuel um, allowance oh. bracket and wouldn't get those extra extra measures that may be afforded to people on the very lowest of incomes. Absolutely, and I think that's, again, something that the government just don't seem to have understood. So, I mean... Um, How should they have tackled that? Well, so what, we, what we've been saying and what we're suggesting and putting forward is that there would be... So there's the €100, Euro obviously, that is going to everyone. And then on top of that, that there will be 200 um, going to those earning under 30,000 and for those between 30 and 60,000, um, an additional 100 euro. But the clear thing here is... And how do you do that? Can you do that? You in can a, do that through revenue. In, and in, a, in a speedy way. Absolutely. So you can do that through um, revenue and mm. through um, social protection measures. But I think John actually hit the nail on the head here. I mean, the issue of housing. And I, I remember being in the studio on budget night and saying to the Minister McGrath that um, they hadn't mentioned rents once in, in their budget mm -hmm. and they failed to mention rents again today. Now yesterday Daft.ie produced a report that said in the, my home county of Galway uh, rents have increased by 19%. I mean people can't pay that um, and people are under huge pressure yeah. to pay that and that's why they're making all these different, um, th that's why they have to make all these really, really difficult decisions. So what we needed is a government, I mean, you ask is, is, is the question tonight um, that the government is out of touch? Well, I think that's the statement of tonight and that they've just proved once more that they are indeed out of touch. Okay, um, you know, on just, you know, what has been spent here, as we said, like 500 million euro, it's an awful lot of money. Um, Roshan, do you think they're going to be back at the table grappling with how to deal with this later on in the year? I mean, the hope is that, you know, the in inflation won't continue. It won't be a long term thing. But economists differ on that. Well, I think there's a general consensus that it will be at least medium term till the end of this year. And not only that, but all of the indications are that there is going to be increased inflation in food prices. And, you know, we heard that from economists today because the increases in energy costs are only beginning to feed into food production. And indeed, there's increases in fertiliser and parts and all of that kind of thing. And that's all going to add to the already increasing cost of food. But can I just make a point? When you were interviewing the Taunish earlier, you were saying to him, you were talking about the need for fairness in the way they were providing this subsidy. And he said that people earning between 40 and 50,000 are suffering as well. And of course they are. Mm -hmm. They're middle income earners and they're not getting very much out of this. What we should be doing is targeting people on middle and lower incomes. And, and how do you and do the middle income earners, Roisin? There's, there's lots them? of ways that you can do that. You can do it with, with, uh, with, with refundable tax credits. Uh, tax credits generally, and for lower income people, refundable tax credits. Or you can make a direct payment, just as this is a direct payment, but you only make it to people under a certain limit. But, you know, of, of course, allow the, the, the subsidy for people earning between so 40 and 50,000. So why do you think they didn't do that? 000. I mean, that's the question there, because we, we've heard it, like, you know, not just from opposition politicians, but for groups like Vincent de Paul, that this needs to be yeah. targeted and so targeted. Targeted so at, the, at middle the tax and, and lower they're, they're, incomes, but not higher 
higher incomes. And, you know, we were told in December by the government when they first announced this that the reason they weren't targeting it was that the speed was of the essence and they had to get this support out quickly. That was December. We're now almost three months down the road and it's looking like this payment isn't going to be made till sometime next month at the very earliest. So there was plenty of, of time to target it and there are many different ways that you can do that. It's yeah. not impossible. But this kind of one for everybody in the audience across the board and no recognition of the need for okay. fairness and priority. It's just not acceptable. For John, just, just on this one, like it is a critical, it is a critical thing for government this year. We're seeing that cost of living is actually going to be one of the defining issues of 2022. Where does this leave the coalition? Like the carbon tax was one thing that came up. You know, was there was there a move just to appease the Greens not to touch that? Is is, is there are there tensions there with government and in how they are grappling and dealing with this? We know that the, the Thornis was worried about this inflationary spiral and being quite conservative, or the Taoiseach, I, I should say, wants to be quite conservative in in how um, they target this problem. Well, I, I tried to determine today where exactly. Uh, the drive for, for this this measure came from within government. It was difficult to put your finger on it. You know, there doesn't seem to be a sector of government that felt this was a, a huge issue. And as I said earlier, I didn't see a huge clamour for fuel poverty or the fuel crisis across society to be dealt with. I, I think they're handicapped. Well, in, certainly in, among in, the, the higher earners. But. Exactly. No, meaning that th yeah. there are serious issues dealing with um, um, for people who are really struggling, and that's where we come into the targeted uh, measures, which which aren't as eye-catching as the as the blunt measure. Um, the traditional measure, methods of dealing with with inflation are beyond our government. We can't do it anymore. The ECP. Uh, controls our monetary pol policy. We can't print money. We can't really deal with interest rates, and fuel. Really, the fuel inflation is is controlled by OPEC right now, and we have no control over that. Okay. And we've lost control of housing. Right. Okay. There we'll have to leave it. There's so much more to talk about that, and we will hear more, of course, in the coming days and weeks. But my thanks to Murray and Roisin. Uh, John is staying here with me because coming up after the break, rising tension in the east and all the big talking points of the news week. Stay with us. Welcome back. The Ukraine crisis has been described as the most serious facing Europe for decades. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson was speaking as joint military exercises got underway involving up to 30,000 Russian troops in Belarus. Well, tonight I spoke to journalist Peter Dickinson in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, about today's war games and rising tension in the region. Uh, good evening. Yes, well, of course, uh, Russia and Ukraine share a, a, a border of almost 2,000 kilometres, um, but Belarus also has a shared border with Ukraine of another 1,000 kilometres. Uh, so the presence of approximately 30,000 Russian troops uh, to the north of Ukraine in Belarus at the moment for these exercises is a, call, is a source of, of great alarm. It significantly increases the encirclement of Ukraine, and crucially, it offers an opportunity for Russia, potentially, if it were to pursue uh, a full-scale invasion, as, as, as is being mooted at the moment, as, as many fear, it would allow Russia to sweep down on the capital city, Kiev, the largest city in Ukraine, from the north and, and reach Kiev within a matter of hours uh, and avoid the, the, the challenge of having to cross the Dnipro River, which divides Ukraine uh, down the middle and would protect Ukraine 
uh, from Russia, from a Russian invasion from the east. So the, the Belarusian front, as it were, is a particularly sensitive area for Ukraine. And added to that is the fact that Ukraine's uh, military, although already significantly outgunned by Russia, is, is heavily concentrated in the east of the country, where there's an, an eight-year insurgency continues. Um, so there's very little defence in the north as well. So uh, taken together, of course, the, the Belarusian... The Belarusian uh, Threat uh, that is presented by these uh, by these exercises and by the Russian president in the north is, is considerable. Yeah, and all the while, diplomatic efforts are continuing. How are they going? Is there a sense that there could be a breakthrough in all of this? Hope that some progress will be made. Uh, unfortunately, there's no sign of a breakthrough at this point. Um, I think the most encouraging thing that one could say is that talks continue. Uh, we've had Emmanuel Macron in Paris in recent days. Next week, the new Chancellor of Germany, uh, Mr. Herr, Herr Scholz, will be in Kiev and Moscow. Uh, today, talks are taking place between representatives of Russia and Ukraine, and as well as France and Germany in Berlin, uh, in a format that is aimed to try and make a breakthrough in the ongoing conflict in the east of Ukraine. Uh, so we have, of course, we have the British Foreign Secretary in, in Moscow today. Uh, so the talks continue. There's very little sign of any middle ground at all. Um, there's been no breakthroughs and no hint of, of, of a room for compromise. Uh, but given the rhetoric coming out of Russia over the past few months, and particularly one or two months ago, in terms of there being very limited uh, patience for talks, the fact that uh, we are still in a situation where negotiations are happening and being scheduled uh, can be seen as encouraging. Unfortunately, that's about the only encouraging thing I could say at this point. OK, well, thank you for the update from Kiev tonight. Peter Dickinson, thank you very much for joining us. And joining me now for a look back at the big news stories of the week are Ocean FM broadcaster Claire Ronan and journalist Barbara Scully. John Lee is also still here with me. You're welcome along to the programme. Um, I just want to come to this big announcement today. Well, it was the report, wasn't it, that came out this week on the Defence Forces and how we're essentially the weak link in Europe. Um, this report is pretty hard-hitting, like it was blunt in what it was saying. Ireland, an outlier among Western European nations, and how little is spent on our defence. Of course, it was all shown up by the fishermen going out to say, look, the Russians are coming, so we're going to take the battle in our own hands. But the likelihood of us spending the billions that are said to be required, well, you know, spending up to three billion on fighter jets and ships, is that likely to happen? Um, th th there's, there, there's kind of a, a price schedule there. They've maybe said 1.5 billion might do it. That's still a 50% increase on our, on our funding for our armed forces. And 3 billion would really do it. Even if some of the proposals were to come into place, like um, they want to rebrand the Air Corps as the Air Force Discommission, as the Air Force, uh, strengthen protection, uh, strengthen the number of vessels to protect our ports, even then, we weren't going to be able to take on the, right, the might of the Russian Navy. We've always had this um, situation as a neutral country and a small neutral country that we haven't ever had an armed forces And we've had level. to rely on other countries which aren't <coughs> neutral, like the RAF flying over to check... Yeah, and I think our, our, unwritten our there was... The, the British, the, Britain has run down its armed forces significantly and very controversially, consider, considering their martial pa um, past when they always had um, troops to go off and deal with their empire. And we're, we're exposed in that fashion. Um, whether we're going to find 1.5 billion, 3 billion to support our, our armed forces and increase that capability, it's somewhat doubtful, especially when we're seeing tonight the amount of monies that are going in, in other areas. But we can live in hope. There are measures there which one would accept, expect to be enacted 
and they're principally to do with pay, army pay, and that has caused an exodus from the yeah. from the army and the air yeah. force and everything, air corps and everything. Which else. has long been spoken about um, from people who've had to leave simply because yeah. they can't um, afford to stay in that job. Um, Another big story, this happened last month, and, and that is the attack on pensioner Tom Nyland in his own home in Sligo, Clare. You live close to where it happened. Uh, we heard from his family this week. They spoke about their shock, their anguish, their absolute horror at seeing him in hospital, and he's now critically ill. Um, what, what sort of, what have been, you know, the, the, the fallout from all of this, the impact of all of this on communities in Sligo? Well, one thing that's very important to point out here is this is a really close-knit community, Dramard, Screen. The road that um, Tom Nyland lives on is a, quite a busy road between Sligo and Ballina. And his house is isolated, but not too isolated, sitting watching television at seven o'clock in the evening. The door goes, which would not be unusual. He was very popular, described as a gentle giant. Um, in fact, one local businessman said he was like the grandfather you would just love to have. Um, a very innocent man watching TV and they beat him so badly. Um, it was inhumane what they did to the man. They broke bones in his face. They shattered his eye socket. And then they tied his shoelaces together. And that to me is just, it's inhumane really. Um, they, they took his phone and his wallet and made it very difficult for him to escape. In the local area now, people are devastated. Um, in fact, the whole country, his, his cousin spoke today of how they're getting mass cards to Sligo Hospital, medals, they're putting all the medals beside him in the bed and they're reading all the mass cards and all the letters. Uh, but people are terrified. Yeah, and it Absolutely terrified. It resonates, doesn't it, with so many people, Barbara, um, this story, because people are fearful once again. I mean, during the pandemic, there was all the isolation, but, but, but instances like burglary such, like, such as these were right down because everyone had to stay at home. Yeah, yeah. We're seeing them back again and the story of rural crime is one that's really come back And again. I think the other thing that we have to factor into some of this is the fact that our older people during the pandemic um, lost a lot of their own self-confidence as well because of cocooning or cocooning and staying in um, and you know I think a lot of them became frailer um, over the two years that perhaps they would have been had they still been able to pursue their, their lives in so much as they were. And I think it's the fear that's awful that I mean it's awful for Mr Nyland and uh, his family but I think also the fear that it engenders then in, in the wider population um, does a huge amount of damage you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, and the focus again on suppose, guard the resources in this area, yes. community policing and making everyone at least feel that bit safer, that they can get help and those supports are around as well. Well, even the parish priest, Father Gilroy, spoke about his friendship with Tom Nyland and also said, I live on my own and I'm nervous. You know, a lot of people are now talking about putting in security measures, but, you know, the police were on the scene very quickly, as were the emergency services. Um, just to talk about the Australian border situation with you, Barbara, you know, people who watch the show will be familiar <laughs> with this, and your own situation, because this was good news. They opened all the borders, hey. but not everywhere, not in, in no. Perth. So it's still affecting an awful lot of Irish families who have relatives in Perth, just like you. Your daughter's over there yep. and you won't be able to see her. Yep. Um, I, I spent um, the other day, well, two days really answering messages on my phone and on my social media going, oh, you must be thrilled. Australia's open. Have you got booked your flights? Have you packed your bags? And unfortunately, Western Australia is an outlier. Um, all of the other states have opened. Um, Western Australia, and again, you know, during most of the pandemic, we looked on at Western Australia who managed to 
closed down their borders very early, kept COVID out and therefore lived normally. You know, they would have one case or two cases and they'd have a panic and they'd all have to wear masks for like three days and it was a big drama. But, uh, and I was very thankful for that. And for a while I was stupid enough to look at it and go, why can't we do that? Like we're an island. But Western Australia, Perth is one of the most isolated cities in the world. Its nearest other city is Singapore. Um, the distance from Perth to, say, Brisbane is mm. about the same as from here to Pakistan. You know, we, we forget that these distances are so great. And unfortunately, um, Mark McGowan, who's the Premier of Western Australia, had said in November that they would reopen the borders on the 5th of February if they reached about 90% of the population doubly vaxxed, which they did. But unfortunately, then he went back on his word because of Omicron and said now he wants everybody boosted. But he hasn't, unfortunately, given any date for the reopening. So we, we, just, we just don't know. And I I mean, as I say, I'm only one of, I'm sure, hundreds of grandmothers um, who are waiting to see grandchildren and have missed out on so much. Yeah, of course, because this side of the world, we're all talking about coming out of pandemic and where do we go from here? That the idea that families still can't be, there can't be re those reunions is, is really seems hard to believe right now with where we're at. Um, to talk to about some good news today, and it was a good week really for the Irish with the announcement about all our Oscar nominations there. Belfast is looking good. Kenneth Branagh looks like he'll sweep up. He's, he's kind of got nominations in, in, every, uh, in every area there. So good news for the Irish. Have, have you seen it yet? I haven't seen Belfast yet. I haven't seen it, but no. I've heard great things about it and I really want to see it. Now and that Van we Morrison, go back and enjoy cinema again. <laughs> well, yeah. I, oh, I'm, Van I'm trying, to think, I'm trying to think of what of, many, of the many streaming services I have might have it, but that might be revealing some of the ones I use. Um, Van Morrison, we, we never really count as an Irishman probably as much as we should, uh, has got a nomination, which is great. And Jessie Buckley, who I, I can't say I've, I, anything springs to mind that oh, I've seen with her in recently. Oh, but I know she's a very well-acclaimed classical actor as well. So hopefully a, a few Oscars. There. I just love the reaction from the parents when you hear this news. It's such a oh, nice piece great. with, with her, her dad um, down in Killarney when he was talking about how proud they all are. Oh, listen, it's fantastic. And look, it's great to have some good news because you do feel like it's and just... And the other thing is that I think Belfast, Kenneth Branagh's movie is good Irish storytelling. It's an Irish story as well as just an Brilliant. Irish director. It's on my list. I look forward to seeing Me it. Me too. Um, that is it from us. My thanks to the panel. Our programme is available as a podcast from all the late team here. Good night. Take care. is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.